0: I just don't think there's one housing market. There's all of these pockets and they all have a different uh, flavor to them. People want access to good returns. And so if you're thinking, I don't have any money to start doing this, there's, that's just garbage. You've got to just be creative, make connections, and start. Because I think there's so many opportunities out there, whatever you want to do. Why do you want to get into real estate investing or why do you want to start buying notes or why? Well, I like to say there's three things you need to become a real estate investor to buy a piece of rental property. You need a deal, right? You need people and you need cash.
1: The real estate world is changing. This is Investor Creator. Clayton, welcome to Investor Creator. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad I could do it. Yeah, been looking forward to this. We've had a little bit of a difficult time connecting, and I'm glad we could get together this morning. So the first thing I want to talk about is really the state of the market. So I mean, right now in the US, we have roughly 30 million unemployed. We have a ton of forbearance going on in terms of mortgage, but we also have like they're saying the, the most limited supply on record when it comes to housing. So how do you navigate this and what's your long-term, medium to long-term view of the market right now?
0: Well, I think like any market, you know, when we looked at what happened during 2008, 2009, there's no one housing market, right? So if you're looking at what's going on right now in the, the cities, I'd be really concerned if I was a New York City investor, if I was a San Francisco investor, if I was a big commercial investor in some of those big areas, those densely populated areas where people are getting on subways and they're going to work every day. and uh, you know I think I would really be worried about that if I was a commercial investor in those spaces. Because I think we're seeing already, we're seeing this exodus out of the cities into more rural settings. And now, with because of the pandemic, because of what a lot of businesses have been not only forced to do, but have wanted to do. I point to Twitter as an example, right? Twitter wanted to have almost their entire workforce work remotely. That was a goal of Jack Dorsey's before this happened. Well, then this pandemic was the catalyst for that happening. Now announcing a few weeks ago that any employee that wants to work from home can. And that frees them up to be able to close down that really expensive office in downtown San Francisco, that overhead, that brick and mortar. I think you're seeing that across the board. I think you're seeing banks right now being forced to close branches, really questioning, do we need all this brick and mortar? Does Wells Fargo need to be on every corner? Think about it. If you think about how many banks are in your neighborhood, they're everywhere. And you're seeing a lot of this move on, I think, you know banks particularly moving away from brick and mortar. I can point to a bunch of different banks like Novo Bank and others that are able to do really great business checking accounts and things. And they're able to like eat those ATM fees that you would get by using another ATM. And they actually would pay your account back. Why? Because they don't have the brick and mortar to deal with. You're seeing that with Mint Mobile also, the telephone, uh, you know, cellular service. When I spoke to their CEO a short time ago, he said, we can eat up so many costs because we don't have a Mint Mobile store that you have to walk into. So from like a commercial real estate space, I'd be concerned about the cities. And with so many people trying to move out of the cities, be able to work remotely, set up businesses away from that, not wanting to be in subway cars and public transportation and other things. As a single family investor, I'm encouraged by that. And I mean, duplexes and single families is what I do. And it's because there's such a demand for it. You brought it up here just a short time ago, the demand for affordable housing in this country, we have such a demand. That's not going anywhere. We need, we need millions of those. And so I don't see that changing anytime soon again, I just don't think there's one housing market. There's all of these pockets and they all have a different uh, flavor to them.
1: And that makes a lot of sense. I'm not a commercial investor, but I don't understand the commercial side. So number one, I don't understand a four or 5% cap rate and how that ever makes sense. But people are all the time putting money in at that kind of a rate. And on the commercial side, I really don't understand long-term how strip centers make sense in 100 years, how these big box retailers make sense in probably 20 years. And we're seeing really a mass exodus of those leaving the market. I mean, JCP right. shut down and I mean all these places going bankrupt. And I mean on the commercial side, I don't know how I'd want to navigate that long term to create what I'm hoping to be generational wealth. It's like I would hate to own all these strips and then
0: in 40 years it's like, who even goes to a strip center? Does that make sense? Well, it absolutely does. And I've heard from a number of these owners in the commercial space. I'm not a commercial investor at all. And I just, I've never understood it. And when I got into real estate, really the commercial space was, was all this talk, buying these big buildings and even people trading at a cap rate of two, 3%, um, which is crazy. And it, even when you don't even have any value add that you're able to add to that property, I found amazing. But people, do, you know, a lot of Chinese buyers and so forth, just sinking capital in there to just have it sit, you know, it's really a tax shelter. But I agree with you. All these strip malls right now are being crushed and look, a lot of those strip malls, you drive up through the Pennsylvania mountains, I've seen strip malls that have been sitting there during the height of the, like, the best economy we've ever had, empty, because they still can't fill them with retail space. So now in these conditions, trying to fill it with a new store is gonna open and start selling uh, you know, antiques or whatever, no way. And those stores only survive month to month anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think we're about to see just a collapse, uh, really a huge problem in the commercial space on the foreclosure side. I don't know what we're going to see on the residential side. If Congress doesn't do something to kind of help out, I know that the HEROES Act is sitting on the desk of the Senate right now. The Senate doesn't seem like it has any appetite at all to touch that, which included $75 billion for mortgage assistance for landlords and rental assistance for landlords, plus $100 billion for rental assistance for tenants. And that doesn't seem to be any appetite to touch that. And I think we're here we are at the middle of June, beginning of June, we're about to see, I think, just a wave of evictions that's going to cripple us if we don't take action on this soon. Yeah, and I
1: totally agree. It's really amazing to me. Most of what we have are mortgage notes. And the people that haven't really been able to pay as well have been the tenants. You know, it's not my, my borrowers, it's my tenants that have long-term here had an issue. In terms of affordable housing, because this is a, a really big national issue, and it seems like, at least in terms of what I've personally dealt with development, which isn't a ton, but between the land costs going up and all the regulation in terms of watershed and all this that we have with track development, I don't see a way to put a quote unquote starter house on the ground anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you see any markets where there's like a 1200 foot house going up like track development and they're able to make that work? Because I haven't seen it
0: in a long time. It's difficult. And I think you bring up a great point. You know, what we build are houses for clients for rent. So we're building about 400 of them this year in West Texas is our primary market where we can still get really good ROI, where it's one of the you know, most landlord friendly states in the country. Sure. Um, you know, and plus the job growth and really recession resistant economies in a lot of Texas, big fortune 500 companies moving there. You know, I'm building it for investors that want to place, that will have tenants that we place right in there so they're getting a cash flowing property when they buy the property, brand new construction. So for starter homes, it's difficult. You're absolutely right because you're gonna have these higher end features. It makes more sense for someone to spend the time building right now that is going to be for investors. So some of these big institutional hedge funds that are coming in and putting in 200 properties at a time, they're not building it to sell it to a first time home buyer. They're building it to sell to investors it just makes more sense for them. They can sell 10 at a time to an investor instead of trying to do one off and getting mortgages and lining those up with individual starter homes. So I think you're right about that. And also they're just difficult to find. I mean, we used to do a lot in the renovation space, Mm -hmm. but we really found it difficult. And frankly, you know, it's like what Warren Buffett said, he'd buy every single family home in America if he could, but they're incredibly difficult to find. And a lot of hedge funds have moved away from trying to pick and choose like that one on 123 Main Street that's sandwiched between two 50-year-old homes and then pick one up over here. It's a lot of time and effort to try to pluck these properties when it's better and easier just to build a whole development. That's really interesting. And I haven't heard of that concept. I mean, the turnkey idea,
1: especially, so I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I know Memphis is a big market for this. Four Hours North, Indianapolis is a big market for this. And that's something that you have done historically for a long time is renovation and turnkey rentals, correct? Right. Absolutely. And so I'm really surprised that the numbers can work on the new construction side. But I mean, that's really interesting that it's like, yeah, you have scale. And the, the model is, we always know whenever we're doing a renovation, you don't really know what you're going to get into. But if you're controlling that construction from ground up, then
0: I mean, you know exactly what's there. So that right. We just finished 42 townhomes, you know, and they're all in one area. We know exactly what we're going to get you know, and we're also building in a cost segregation analysis into it with our CPA ahead of time. And what we found is we had a client close on a property last week and they had got traditional financing, we, you know, financing available and all that. So the appraisal came in higher than we sold it to them for, which is always our goal. Like we want to be right there, but these numbers are coming in higher. So like, you know, it's crazy what's going on right now. I, w- I was watching the housing numbers so closely during this pandemic, like seeing, oh, no, what's going to happen here? And yeah. one of our big concerns was materials, to your point, like, how would this affect us, you know, how at scale? And we were worried about materials. Would we be able to get these things? And it fortunately, because all the timber, you know, comes out of Canada, we didn't have to deal with that. We weren't worried about things coming from China. And so that shortage that a lot of other people felt at the e space and other places didn't hit us because we didn't have to deal with China, we had to deal with Canada, and they're our neighbor to the north. Some good signs there. And mortgages, I mean, mortgage rates as low as they are, and we know the Federal Reserve is meeting this week for their new six-month forecast outlook, and uh, they are likely to keep interest rates basically at zero for the next couple of years. I mean, probably not, probably through the middle of 2025. I don't see them moving interest rates very much in the next few years at all. Oh, and that brings up a a question that I have is, I know that you know a lot
1: of people and a lot of very well-connected people. Is there any talk of the U.S.
0: rates going negative? There has been a lot of talk about the rates going negative. The White House, President Trump, has called for it. He famously tweeted about it if you, you know, at the early part of this pandemic, in early, mid to late March, I think he tweeted about it, said um, we should go negative because it's a beautiful number that was in his one of his tweets. Um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell and other members of the Federal Reserve, not just Jerome Powell, who's the Fed chief, but other members of Minneapolis Fed, Neil Kashkari and others have come out and said, nope, we do not see that as an answer because we feel like we have too many tools in our tool belt still to deal with further slumps on Wall Street or liquidity problems and turning negative uh, rates negative would be the very, very last thing we would do. And also, the great experiment in Europe with it hasn't worked. I mean, we've seen it in Sweden. We've seen it in other places. And if you want to look at that as an example of how this has worked, it has not. It's been a failure. So I don't see us going there. And could you imagine the revolt from the American people? I mean, imagine the revolt from the American people just wearing masks right? Think about the Americans. We just don't like people telling us what to do. Now you're going to tell us, I'm going to have to pay you the bank to put my money in the bank. I'm going to have to pay you to give me a mortgage. Like that just doesn't make any sense. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. And that that makes a lot of sense.
1: Whatever the yield curve inverted a couple of times, and I can't remember, maybe that was roughly a year ago. I always wondered if that was because there was so much investor money coming out of Europe and China, just trying to get a yield. You know, if they're at a negative yield curve, then they're certainly not making anything on their money. It's like let's just get it to the U.S. And if that really caused that inversion, I'm not sure, and I don't guess we'll really ever know. What yeah. do you feel is next for you guys? Because I know you guys have done a lot of transactions. You're doing some development and building now.
0: What's the long game for what you're doing? You know, for me, I, I, I've realized something about myself, which is I like building business, and I think I've been really thinking about real estate for me as you know, I've been thinking a lot about this over the past week, actually a lot more. So you kind of hit me in a moment when my wife and I've been thinking about this, talking about this, Mm -hmm. but the preservation of wealth had a great call and talk with our CPA about this very point about using real estate really as a way of preserving our wealth. You know, we built up really strong, you know, fortress of wealth with real estate. Like how much more do I want to do in that realm? I don't know. And I think it's a good question for a lot of people to ask is, you know, when is enough enough? You know, when you've got a certain portfolio of properties that are, you've got to have some fixes here, some vacancies here, and it's burning and churning along. You've got your dogs and the bunch that you'd like to get rid of and maybe add a few better ones in there. We all want to do that, right? You always want to be nurturing your portfolio. So for us, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, I don't really want to expand that much more. You know, maybe adding a few new additional new constructions that we're doing into my portfolio personally, but beyond that, just focusing on the business, focusing on, we're building a few new businesses now. And I get excited about that. I love creating, which I love the name of your podcast, right? It's like, I love to create. And so I think of that as like a real revenue driver for me. And I think of real estate now in many ways, it's like the preserving of wealth, that legacy generational wealth for me and my family. It's that fortress of solitude, you know, that's going to be there. So that's the kind of way I've been shifting my thinking lately. Yeah, and that's a
1: great place to be to where it's like, I don't really need to grow anymore. How old were you when you
0: started investing? Oh, I was, I did my first flip, I think, when I was uh, in Florida, like early 30s, roughly. But really, when I started buying properties, was like mid 30s, you know, uh, yeah. in not too long ago. I mean, I'm 43 now. So for anyone watching right now, you know, there's so much money out there. There's so much available capital for deals. There's so much available capital for investing. And people want to, and when you're looking at, t- when we're talking about negative interest rates or people are putting their money in treasuries because they can get some kind of a small yield, I mean, as a safe harbor, you know, and people are turning to crypto and it, people want access to good returns. And so if you're thinking, I don't have any money to start doing this, there's, that's just garbage. You've got to just be creative, make connections and start. Because I think there's so many opportunities out there, and whatever you want to do, buying notes, you know, buying properties, getting started with a business, you know, you want to do something and maybe borrow some money and capital to do that. There's endless ways to do it. You just have to be creative. Whenever you first started
1: the business, did you have what you have now in mind? Or is that something that kind of incrementally grew? So you grew the business and you thought, well, gosh, I can just do more. And it grew that way.
0: Which was it? Well, you know, when we we started the business, it, it started out organically and small and we started renovating properties. We had different teams that were renovating properties with us and then it became kind of organic, you know, friends wanting to start buying properties as well. Hey, I see that you're adding to your net worth and growing and I'd like to get one. Can you help us? And it just kind of grew organically from there. Before long, I looked at my wife, I said, this is a business. You know, I have people coming to me. I don't have to go, you know, coming to me. And I used to go out and find deals, you know, wholesaling and other things. So I'd be out banging on doors and doing direct mail and all of that through New Jersey and other parts. So it would like flip the switch where I didn't have to go do that anymore. Mm -hmm. All the while, I'm still working in the TV business, but I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And I love that. So I couldn't just like be working for somebody else. I had to be building my own thing on the side, you know, I had a friend who said, you know, if I were you, man, I would, I would just like, you have the best job. You're in TV. You can just like come on and just sit on the couch and play Xbox every day. Like that's all you have to do. So he said that to my wife and I'm like, I could never do that if that's not something that's in me, you know? So it just kind of grew from there. And then it just, you know, you have your ups and downs in business. And so we certainly had our downs in business. We got hit pretty hard a number of years ago and we had to bounce back and we decided to shift fully into really in the new construction and just put as many layers of, of I don't want to say like awesomeness in place, but like stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, great tenants, great property management teams, and all of those pieces. We just went full in on that side, on the customer service side. And then also building out our, you know, our media side, which has been exciting because I'm a media guy and I love, I love broadcasting and I love being able to do those pieces of it with this podcasting and video and all of those pieces. It allows me to still do what I loved growing up, which was broadcasting and the medium of communicating with people. So yeah, it you know, it's evolved over the years, to be sure. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. I mean,
1: for me, to a certain extent, I had kind of a almost a, really a tough time when I hit 30 because I thought, you know, everything that I had ever hoped to accomplish, I'd accomplished at that point. And I didn't have that next goal in mind. And it was just kind of like, well, what now? Kind of thing, right? It was a tougher thing for me than what I realized because I just felt like I was sort of just treading water. I didn't have the next thing. And then it got to where I took on People to help them grow their business. And that was super rewarding. You know, it wasn't just about me and and buying another house, which was not exciting
0: at all anymore. It was about helping someone do their first deal, which is just so much fun. I love something you just said. I want to comment on it because about being able to help other people. I think for me, with my channel and being able to do what we do on our YouTube channel now at Morris Invest, like we, I spent a lot of time doing live shows and really helping people around their personal finance and helping them. These are people who are never going to invest with me. They're never going to, we're building 400 homes. Like those, I only can sell 400. Like I'm not. So now I'm talking to like a broader audience that helping them think about personal finance in a way that we were never taught. And that's exciting to me being able to communicate and educate people around that. The people that listen, maybe 0.01% of them would ever work with us and that's fine. The other larger part of the audience, if I could move them just a little bit to thinking about not buying liabilities, buying performing assets, setting up their family for future success, that is what really excites me to know that we could change the future of a family because they've listened to the show and some small little piece they pulled away could change them or set them on a different path. That's what excites me.
1: Hundred percent, and it's really an interesting thing. There's so many people that need that information, and you would think with the internet out there and people can look at jumping cats all day on YouTube that they would spend a little more time trying to better themselves. And I I don't know why if it's if it's just like a mental broken concept that they just don't think that they could ever succeed or what that is. But I think that your videos are great, and for anybody listening, thank you. you. You guys be sure and check out Clayton on YouTube. What advice would you have for someone that is wanting to get into the business, but they don't really know where to start? They don't really have a lot of cash. Like when I started, I had $300 in the bank, my first closing. I find that a lot of people
0: don't have money when they start. What advice do you have for that person? Well, I first, really, I try to identify their why. It's the first question we ask when a potential client books a call with us at Morris Invest. Like before we talk houses, like if we get the person that calls us, it's like, I just want to buy a house. Like, no, no, no. Like we want to have develop a long-term relationship here, but the first question we want to figure out is why? Because real estate might not be the answer, right? And we might be able to point them in a different direction. So what is your why? Like why, why do you want to get into real estate investing? Or why do you want to start buying notes? Or why? What is that? Is it to spend more time with your family? Uh, is it to have wealth preservation in your family? Like you've made a lot of money as a doctor, but you're just terrible with money like most doctors are no offense, but that's true. <laughs> we <laughs> dentists are like our biggest clients, you know, they, they call it because they, they're great with uh, setting up a business, but they're terrible with their money. And so like, what is your why? You want to be able to have that preservation of wealth. You want to spend more time with your children. You want to be able to not commute two hours to and from work. Well, then maybe real estate isn't the answer just yet. Maybe you take that $300 and you start a website, start a business, Start to create some cash flow from something that's a passion project of yours that you could really sink your teeth into. And then as you start to make an additional 40,50,000 dollars, use that as a down payment to buy a rental property, you know, and start to build an LLC that you can get the tax benefits of. So there's all these pieces I think you need to really look at. But if you're like, "No, I really want to be a real estate investor, and I've only got 300 dollars." Well, I like to say there's three things you need to become a real estate investor, to buy a piece of rental property. You need a deal. Right? You need people and you need cash. Now, if you have no cash and you don't have a deal, then you've got to connect with people that can bring you that. So you go to a RIA meeting, you have connections at a RIA meeting, you say, hey, look, I want to get started. I only have $300. And they're going to say, good, I need somebody who's a bird dog. I need you to go out every day and find me properties and I'll cut you in on an equity position on a rental property. We'll cut a deal. Like that's how it happens. So if you have no cash, then you've just got to find deals. You've got to find people. Um, But if you're sitting on cash, then you need to find deals, right? So there's like all of these pieces um, that, that need to play. But if you don't have cash, there's no magic formula other than hard work. You've got to make those connections and you've got to go out and find the deals. That's how you get started in real estate. Absolutely. Clayton, I
1: appreciate the conversation very much. For those that are possibly interested in investing with you, for those that are interested in connecting with you, how can they do that?
0: It's very easy. We're just at Morris Invest. Just my last name, M-O-R-R-I-S, morrisinvest.com is our website. And you can also check me out on YouTube. I really try to respond to every comment there. We've got a great community of people who are learning about wealth. and That's just youtube.com slash morrisinvest. And I uh, post daily there and have, like I said, I communicate with everyone. So anyone wants to leave me a comment, I'll try to connect with you and, and help you. If any questions you have about wealth building, I'm I'm happy to help anybody. Cool. Sounds great, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brad. Take care.